All right, good evening. Take your Bibles, if you would, this evening and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And as you do that, I'm sure the screen is coming down. And uh, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, this night we're so thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And that we are, you are faithful and just to forgive us all our sins. As we celebrate, celebrated the Lord's table, we remind, remind, uh, are reminded of that, and we now walk remembering that. We pray that you would help us as we continue our study and what you'd have for us for technology in its proper place in our home. And as we finish that this evening, we pray that you would let the Scripture speak, and that you would uh, use your third person of the Trinity to impress upon our hearts how to apply it the way you intended in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We have been looking at now for the sixth time this evening, the Christian and modern culture, and we've taking taken a pretty broad approach, a theological approach at the beginning with Pastor Kent. He went through where does our relationship with culture start, and it starts with our relationship with the Lord. And he took us to 1 Peter chapter 1, be holy for I am holy. And really the knowing God and the holiness of God is really our rudder and our pathway as we investigate how or what in the world we do with this thing called culture. And then Pastor Mike helpfully defined culture, helped us understand it from a biblical worldview. And, and really, at the end of the day, it is, it is a uh, generalized system of thinking. And uh, the scripture calls it something else. At the end of the day, if it's not for God, it's against God, and it's the world. It's worldliness. And so he kind of went into the nuances of that. Um, it's all been categorized on the website, so I encourage you if you're interested in those things and as we, how, how we got to now the proper place of devices in our home, uh, you can go back and look at those things on the website. Um, last week, we looked at God's proper place, prioritizing our mind. We went back to 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, oh dear, is it... Uh, Okay, so how about that? Technology. I had it set up, I promise I did. All ready to go, so we could just dive right in. And, um, and it just blinked on me. And so we'll just keep on going, and hopefully I'll get a thumbs up here in a little bit. Maybe. Um, at any rate, we looked at First Peter chapter 1. And... Obviously, I cannot multitask at the same time. Uh, I think ladies are, are better at doing it than men are. Um, and uh, so, I'm not a lady. That's obvious for several reasons. Did we get that? Okay, that's not it. But uh, we'll try to, we'll try to, we're getting closer here. All right, so I will just hit this again. And maybe I'll just throw this out the window and we'll just look at the Bible, right? Like we're intended to do this evening. This is 
hopefully a tool to help us. Just leave it there, okay? I think we're good now. All right, that's you, by the way. Aren't you beautiful people? You are. You're beautiful people. All right, so we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1 in God's proper place for devices in our home. That was first to start in our mind, right? Remember that? Be sober. Sober-minded thinking is heavenward thinking. It's, it's prioritizing our thoughts the way God would have them. And Peter goes through great suffering and, and great suffering um, in his thinking. Paul does that. We looked at two examples there. And, and, and how do we get through suffering? Well, we, we prioritize our mind. We are sober-minded. And we think about, really, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the literal second coming of Jesus Christ. And that is all that we need to think about. And uh, we, we focus our minds on that. Um, tonight, we're going to look at God's proper place, prioritizing our bodies. And now we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And then we'll end in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, let's familiarize ourselves a little bit with the content um, and the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And really, I think thought it would be helpful, though we're not going to primarily look at the beginning of the chapter, it would be helpful in way of review for prioritizing our mind. Here in the first few verses of chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, we see the Corinth church in turmoil. They're, they're really at the point where they're so worldly in their thinking, they're, they're bringing in the culture of Corinth to the church culture. And ultimately, they're more they're, 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 they're eager to vindicate one's own self and roll over to steamroll anybody in their way, even if it's in the church. And so Paul addresses um, Christians basically wanting to sue each other. Christians that cannot get along, that have disagreements, and need to settle their, their disagreements. And they choose to do it through the cultural way, which in the Corinth was taking it to court, just like today, with all the litigation that happens. And so uh, we see in verse 1, Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Well, the answer obviously is yes. Paul is kind of asking a rhetorical question, trying to get, um, trying to get their point across. Or do you not know that, look at verse 2, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Right? So he's, he's bringing up this reality that as Christians, right, we, are, we, are, we can't, we, can't we, we go to unrighteous, we go to people who, are, who, are, uh, um, who will be judged by us, quite literally, rather than uh, figuring out our own uh, disagreements. He says in verse 2, if the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Verse 3, do you not know that we will judge angels? So then he brings it up to the celestial realm. He says, we're going to judge angels. How much more matters of this life? And so he's trying to put the disagreements and the solution in perspective. Verse 4, so if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? 
I say this to your shame, it is so that there's not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren, but brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. Actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? And see, they, they had a whole misunderstanding of what exactly was important in their life, didn't they? They had a whole misunderstanding of what was the proper solution to solve these disagreements. They had a thinking problem as we go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. They were not thinking about Jesus Christ coming back. What were they thinking about? They were, they were more concerned about the little material squabbles that they had with one another. They were more concerned that so-and-so did this on my property or so-and-so, you know, hit my whatever you had back then to hit, you know? Instead of, oh man, verse 7, you know what? What does Jesus say about who I am? What does Jesus say about my rights? Turn the, don't. Don't, but, but Paul's, it's like Paul's saying, don't you, Philippians chapter 2, right? Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And he didn't, he didn't seek to, to take some, some system of government to court to vindicate his right to be king of kings and lord of lords. What did he do? He humbly submitted himself. He humbled himself. And so Paul's saying here, your whole thinking is wrong, and therefore, your actions are wrong. So there was a big problem in the Corinth church. They had divisions and they had legal disputes. And quite frankly, their thinking was upside down and was not sober-minded if we go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, if you remember from last week. Sober-minded, remember, is just the reality that my mind thinks on the revelation of Jesus Christ. My mind thinks on what it will be like in the future when he rules and reigns and I rule and reign with him. That's the context of First Peter and sober-mindedness. And so it's a good reminder here that we need to take our minds and we need to oftentimes turn them upside down and look heavenward and not look out and about here. And when our actions scream, and Peter says that your actions will scream whether or not you're sober-minded, he says, remember, prepare your minds, and he doesn't stop there, remember, in 1 Peter 1, what does he say next? For action. And so what we think is what often we do, and Peter brings us to that reality, and Paul now illustrates that reality. And so we have quite a dilemma here in the next part of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in the Corinth church. It's the problem, not only a division, but it's the problem of immorality. And just to give you a little, a little understanding of the Corinth culture, so I think oftentimes we kind of look at our culture and we say, oh, it is bad, right? But to Corinthianize someone was basically a sexual euphemism. The Corinth church, or the Corinth culture, was known as a very sexualized culture. 
And so here, again, they are bringing in divisions from the culture. Now they're bringing in uh, uh, immorality from the culture. Let's just continue on to get the whole flow because this is important to note as we go into the, the letter. Verse 8 says, On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defrauded. You do this even to your own brethren. Verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. It's basically, um, you could group them together, effeminate and homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what he says. And such were some of you. That brings us great hope, right? Great courage and great confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it also goes back to the reality that they were forgiven much. And yet they couldn't, they couldn't in their own thinking, forgive someone for some little material dispute. And see, we see how unprioritized their thinking was according to God's thinking. And now with that springboard of forgiveness, we go into verse 12. All things are lawful for me. And here he's, he's really quoting, I believe, a, a Corinth slogan. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. And he, he wants us to understand that, you know what? Not everything is, is uh, wrong about this Corinth slogan, but there are, there are several things that we need to think about. He says, grace does cover all. But not everything that I do is beneficial. In other words, you know what? You could go back to that list in verse number 10 and verse number 9 and, and be a fornicator, an idolater, an adulterer, an effeminate homosexual, a thief, a covetous, a drunkard. You could be those things. And grace will is sufficient to cover all those things because such were some of you. But obviously those things are not profitable. Then he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Not only are they not profitable, but there's a lot of things that you can do that grace will be able to cover that are flat out addictive. That are flat out mat become masters over you. For some of us, it could be alcohol. For some of us, it's drug abuse. And Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I think attacks the number one master-seeking sin, if I can put it that way. The sin that so many of us, if left unchecked, would rule and reign in our lives apart from Jesus Christ. And that is the, the sin of immorality. He addresses it here. He says, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. So he says, you know what, there's a temporary thing here. That's stomach, that's food. But there is a eternal thing that we're talking about, and it's the body. And the sexual sin devastates the body. And Paul's reminding us that the body is a forever thing. We tend to think of the body as this shell, right? And that was the reality in the Corinth culture. In fact, whenever we as Christians bury someone, right, we 
maybe look at the box and we say, well, it's just a box and it's just a body. They're not there. And that is true. But what also is true is in verse 14. Now, God has not only raised the Lord, but he will also raise us up. And what does he raise us up in? That very body that's in the box. You say, well, Pastor Steve, what about those bodies that have been in boxes for a really long time and the worms are enjoying them right now? Or whatever, I don't know if worms can actually get into those boxes. Doesn't matter. God's big enough, isn't he, to put everything back together and to give us our body back? But the reality is, and Paul brings it up here, that the body is a forever thing. Now, it won't be the same body. You might not recognize me. I might look a lot better. You know, and I'll be my, I'll be the height I was always supposed to be, which is this height. I know, I've submitted to that, being the shortest one in the, on the pastoral staff. Uh, I don't know, Pastor Hobbes might be shorter than I am, but anyway, I, I feel like it oftentimes. You know, we might not be the weight that we are now, but we will have our bodies. And Paul says, you know, that is, that is significant when we consider the sin of immorality that attacks our body. In verse 15, he puts it this way. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So he points, paints this other picture. And hold on, we're getting to proper use of devices, I promise. But just like the mind, we have, to, we have to realize what God says about our body. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ? And he gives us a very vivid picture, doesn't he? And make them members of a prostitute. He doesn't just say, you know, of a sexual act. He actually throws in this person that's paid or, or, or gets their living sleeping, having sexual relationships with people. And not just one person, not just two people, but person after person after person after person after person. And then he, he puts Christ into the picture and he says, you are a member of Christ. Right? And how would we make Christ a member with a prostitute? May it never be. So he's giving us some, some, some theological moorings on, on, on how to understand just how devastating sexual immorality is. All the way up to the theological level, as we are identified with Christ and members with Christ, we have to understand that we're taking Christ with us in whatever we do. Verse 16 says, Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute, prostitute is one body with her? For he says, The two shall become one flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. And so we often walk around with our bodies thinking that our bodies are somewhat in isolation. Right? What I do with my body doesn't really matter. How I eat, how I drink, my sexual relationships, it's just biology. But the reality is, is that if we understand who we are in Jesus Christ, our bodies don't exist in isolation. They just don't. And what we do with our bodies is not innocuous theologically or to our relationships. Look at verse 18. He then says, flee immorality. 
Simple as that, right? Run as far and as fast away from immorality as you can because it has devastating effects. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Um, as we go on here, he says, uh, he says a, uh, basically there's a spiritual bond and either it can be eternally enjoyed or it can be eternally endured. Think of that as, as we read verse 18. I thought that was, that was somewhat profound that every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but there is this eternal reality to our body and so there's this eternal reality. Not that Jesus Christ will not forgive us. Not that, that sexual immorality is, is a sin that cannot be forgiven. But that there is this special unity that happens to become one flesh, Genesis. And there is an identity and a unity there. And that identity and unity happens to happen in this physical yet eternal body that God has given us. And so there are some huge ramifications. And at this point, I understand that there's maybe several and maybe many in this room that have really messed up in sexual immorality. And let's go back very quickly to the Lord's table and the the comments that pastor made. And let's go back to verse number 11. Such were some of you. But the grace of God has washed us and sanctified us and justified us. But we need to understand that sexual sin is a unique sin in the sense that it deals with our bodies and it is, um, it is a, a, there is a driving, addictive force between sexual sin. We see that in Proverbs chapter 5, don't we? Proverbs chapter 7, all over Proverbs, all over the scriptures. Let's just look, consider for a second, verses 3 through 11. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, right? Is sex pleasing? You better believe it. I remember, uh, um, I remember being in a preacher boys class and we had this wacky professor, professor and he kind of came in and, and he started basically talking about how great it was. You know, to a bunch of men who have hormones and are supposed to not understand that at the moment, right? So sex is pleasing. By the way, he said that obviously we need to wait till marriage, and that was even better in marriage. But sex is pleasing. Drips of honey, smoother than oil is her speech. This is talking about the adulteress, right? But in the end, she is a bitter as wormwood. You know, wormwood, I don't, I don't think we really understand what wormwood was. I had to look it up again because I often forget. But it is a fragrance, they think anyway. It's a, it's a fragrance that smells very nice, but it doesn't taste like it smells. It's a bitter, disgusting thing, something that you would spit out. She is sharp as a two-edged sword. This is immorality uh, personified. Her feet go down to death. Is it destructive? Does it devastate families? It's It's no laughing matter. It's no, oh, it's just a biological act. It's no, oh, it's just isolation. It's no, oh, it's just me in my room. 
Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. It's just like Paul saying what? Flee immorality. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Go everywhere but. Go out of your way to go as far away. Or you will give her your vigor to others, your years to cruel ones. How many people owe alimony? How many people work and pay off and can barely make ends meet because of the money that they owe to someone because of their infidelity or because of their sexual immorality? The strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go down to the house of an alien. It's exactly our current uh, alimony system. And you groan at your final end when, you, when, when, when sex is no longer a, a thing for you, right? And you're at the end of your life. You're going to look back and you're say, that was utterly worthless and stupid and dumb. And I'm going to throw up some um, hopefully, some helpful things just to open up our minds and our eyes about technology and about mobile devices in particular. And some of these things uh, for the next few slides come from uh, a man named Tim Challies. He's, he's, uh, he's a blogger, and some of you may be familiar with him. Um, but some of these things I think are helpful for us to understand because as parents, uh, these devices kind of came into our homes and we don't really understand a whole lot about them. And I think we all have an understanding of what is out on the internet. Um, But I think it's important for us to understand how prolific it is and how sexual immorality is really, as a youth pastor and as a father, is my number one concern when it comes to technology. And why I, I am very adamant in saying that children should not be alone with devices ever because a filter is only as good as a couple years ago. I mean, honestly, it, it cannot keep up with the content created. So 4.6 billion in 2006 alone, 4.6 billion hours of pornography at just one website. That is enough for 524,000 years. And that was in one year in just one website, the top, apparently the, the number one most visited pornographic website. billion hours of viewing time. He says this, so many people are using so much porn today that it's really impossible to tabulate, but understanding how much is consumed at just one site can at least help us see that this is a problem, nothing less than an epidemic one. You say, well, Pastor Steve, we're different. We're Christians. And yes, I wholeheartedly agree, but it would be... I think, and he'll say it later, negligent to not realize that this is, it's 30%, I read in another study, 30% of the internet traffic at any one time is pornographic. 30%. At age 11, the average child has already been exposed to explicit pornographic content through the internet. Hopefully, our children are not the average children. 93% of boys and 60% of girls exposed to internet-based pornography during their adolescent years. Parents are nothing short of negligent. Here it is. They take no steps to protect their children from being exposed to pornography. 61 to 70% of pornography is watched on a mobile phone. It's not a PC. So putting a PC in your family room, it really doesn't matter. 60 to 70%. 
Parents used to believe that putting a computer in a well-trafficked place and installing covenant eyes, that's like safe eyes, it's uh, like filtering software. Um, I've used it. It's, it's great, but again, it's only as good as the heart, and it cannot keep up with the content. It just can't. On it would be sufficient to keep their children from accessing pornography, but today, pornography is as mobile as our phones, and people consume it in complete privacy. They can access it through the family's Wi-Fi connection, through their mobile data connection, pretty much anywhere you can get internet, right? 62% of teens and young adults have received a sexually explicit image. Meanwhile, 41% have sent one. Okay, so that's not, that's not going to an internet website. That's actually like some sort of text or, or, or app that allows people to communicate. And you young people are bracing for my Snapchat comment. Parents, I honestly, I do not understand anything good with a picture that can only last for 10 seconds. I just don't. Understanding our hearts, understanding the vast majority of the culture is saturated in immorality. Um, I'd run, I would run from Snapchat. For those of you who don't know what it is, good. It, it can't be perfectly fine. The teenagers tell me that. They, 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 they jump up and down and say, Pastor Steve, it's, it's fine. We use it all the time. I just don't get it, quite honestly. Here's another helpful chart. Time on devices. When asked, parents said this, which of the following are your children spending most of their time doing when they're, not, when they're using an electronic device? 64% playing video games, 41% doing homework. <laughs> right. That was just when they were switching from the video games or social media or whatever. 35% uh, using other types of entertainment. 34% chatting with friends, social media 30%, reading 28%, 8% something else. What's not on here? Viewing pornography. Why? Because their parents don't know because they're not going to do it when their parents are around. But I want you to understand that there is a whole realm, 30% of the internet traffic. Let's just do it by the numbers, okay? It's out there. So, so I'm not, what, I'm, what I don't want us to walk out of here this evening and, and, and run and, and, and take away all of our phones and, and, and accuse our kids of looking at pornography, that's not my point. My point is, we just have to understand that it's there, not only for our kids, but for ourselves. And, 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 that, and that these devices literally are a, a doorway, a window, a gateway to go to any home that has any standard in all the world. Any movie theater, and I don't know what else to call it, it's, it's a terrible term, any gentleman's club, whatever, whatever place you think about, this device or a device like it can take you there. And so we have to understand that. Um, so who is your child's guide, right? Is it the strange woman of Proverbs chapter five? Because my friend, she will seek to guide your children. She will seek to guide you. Or, as a parent, are you guiding them? In other words, 
yeah, this adds a layer of complexity to the parental life. You better believe it. But it is a layer worth investing in for the sake of your children and your children's children. Look at this. Who has a phone? Your preteen, do they have a phone? 52% said no, while 48% said yes. And then, does your teenager have a phone? So those 12 and up, or 13 and up, whatever that is. 88% said yes. Right, so just in a few years, and I'm not saying that teens should not have phones. I mean, if Stella's out and about, I want her to be able to call me. Not yet. She shouldn't be out and about without me or, de- or mom. She has. And she has called me without mommy knowing and FaceTime me. It's crazy how, but, it, but the point is this, right? I'm not saying take away the phones. I'm saying in just a few short years, our children have access, most of them, to all of the internet. Whether we want to think so or not, they do. And so as parents, we have, we have, we must, we must parent them through it and not allow the strange woman to do it instead. And so we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 with that laid out. And why are we prioritizing our body? And how do we do that? We go to verse 19. It says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Let me ask you this question. How many of you would struggle, it's an honest question, how many of you would struggle taking this device and accessing pornography in this room right now? Not too many of you are tempted to do this, right? I mean, we love the people that were around and we We're in a church for crying out loud. No way. But my friend, this is nothing. You could remove this box, remove these seats, you could plow this room down tomorrow and Grace Church of Mentor would thrive. This is not a special place. Where is the special place? Or do you not know that your body is a temple. It is no less significant when you are in the privacy of your own space what you do with your device or with somebody else. Your body is a temple who is in you, the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God and that you are not your own for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So what's the priority of our bodies? God owns me. We usually reserve that terminology to the financial section of our church. But my friends, it doesn't even start close to the financial section. God owns you, your body. He doesn't just own everything. He owns you. He owns you. And you were bought with a price. And you were bought with such a great price. And so the next time you struggle with the content on your device, you are so far removed from remembering the price that Jesus Christ paid for you. So we need to prioritize our bodies, that God owns us. 
and I want to think through a few principles here as we kind of as we kind of look at okay, how in the world can we help our children and our families prioritize our own bodies? I think I think we've got to come up with some principles here because as parents, you know, I'm I'm in the early stages of parenting, and as parents, we have we we've really helped our our Stella, our child, right, uh, grow, right. I mean, as an infant, she can't really do much with her own body. And then as a toddler, you know, for the first, you know, million times she goes up and down the stairs, what are we doing? We're holding her hand. I'm standing behind her. I'm making sure that she doesn't fall down the stairs uncontrollably and she can't, you know, uh, she breaks her neck or something. You know, and even still, you know, I mean, if, she, if she's not used to doing something, I'm over there like, okay, should I, how close should I get? Should I freak out yet or not? Is she going to fall? Right? But there's no... There's no difference as we approach our teen years with our kids in their bodies. We have to help them with the transition to manage their own bodies spiritually. Proverbs 5, verses 1 and 2 says, My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve, be, be a, a wealth of knowledge. And this is on, the, this is on the, the forefront of going into the rest of Proverbs chapter 5 where he warns of sexual immorality in the strange woman. So what's the point? The point is the father, the parent, is instructing and training his children on how to use his body, how to use his body. And so parents, it's your job to know more about your children's lives than anyone else. It shouldn't be the case from their friends, shouldn't be the case from their teachers or their pastors, it's your job. And that responsibility is not exempt when it comes to devices and technology. So think about accountability. They should, you should have this ability to access their devices at any time. You should be so transparent with them that they understand that you're not perfect. And, and they understand that, you know, if they come to you with a struggle, you're not going to freak out and hit the nuclear button and lock the place down for 30 years. I'm not saying there can't be ramifications for, for disobeying and for sin, but you've, you've got to be approachable and transparent and visibility. You've got to be undistracted in your relationships, right? I mean, it's easy for us to all kind of just get into the corner and start. And again, I would say in our home, our devices should be in the most public spaces in our house. So we have the parent principle and then we have the flea principle. We saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We see it with Joseph's life, with, with Potiphar. What did he do? He didn't just sit around and, and wait to see if he could withstand the, 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 the coming on of, of, of Potiphar's wife. He, he, he got out of there. He got out of there so fast, he kind of got himself in trouble because he left his jacket. But she was grabbing it, so he had no choice. He just ran. And so we need to remember, young adult, parent, child, that we need to keep ourselves as far away as possible. This is not legalism, right? This is just biblical wisdom. Get away from the strange woman. And you understand that's a, that's a, that's a metaphor for all that is sexual and immoral. So there are certain apps that you just ought not to be a part of. I'm not going to name those apps because quite frankly, I don't think I know them. I hope I don't. But I do know that there's apps 
that gear themselves to problems. And, 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 and there may be some apps that some of you can use, but some of you can't. Because some of you, it's a doorway. And others of you, it's not at all a problem. There's sites, blogs, known for improper content. There are certain sites that I will not go to because, there are, because of the advertising that usually or occasionally will pop up on those sites. I just won't go to them. Or I'll put you know, an ad blocker on. They have those things now, so that's, that's helpful. And what about the people that you follow, the people that you subscribe, your friends, the content that they push out? You shouldn't be following certain people. You just shouldn't. You need to flee as fast as you can. And very quickly, God's proper place prioritizing your family. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you're familiar with it. It's out there in the back wall. It's beautiful, right? It is the whole point of the family. Parents, train your children. Teach them. You are the primary teacher of the word of God, right? And you need to live by example, the word of God. You know, we've, we, Stella does this really silly thing, but it's super cute, so I'm going to share it with you. And it just shows how amazingly, you know, we are like, she does everything we do. And we have no clue that she's even picking up half the stuff that she's picking up. It doesn't end when she's two. It's still the case when they're 16. It's still the case when they're 18. She, uh, she'll find three objects. And so for her, she's got, she's got a small little baby lamb. She's got a big lamb. And then there's the cookie monster. And uh, I'm the cookie monster. Mommy's the big lamb and Stella's the baby lamb. She'll find three sticks. You know, the stick that looks tall and handsome and stunning, that's me, usually. I'm the biggest stick. And mommy will be the next biggest stick. And Stella will be the smallest stick. And then usually sometimes there's this really squirrely stick and sometimes doggy gets in the picture. And so we have mommy, daddy, Stella, and doggy. And everywhere we go, Stella finds what looks like her family. Because she knows, even at an early age, what is a family. And how important a family is, I can't quantify that, but I can tell you that she's a, she's, she, it, it's like it, she'll see our family everywhere. She'll draw a big circle. She'll draw a second, not, not so big circle, very pretty looking circle. That's Charla. She'll draw another circle, and then maybe another circle, and that's our family. She's looking all the time because that's what she knows. Then there's another illustration of just how amazing the family unit is and how God's designed it. I never taught Stella what a ladder's for, ever. You know what she did when she was like, I don't know, three days after she could walk on her own? She was up on my six-foot ladder all the way up at the top when I was, I turned around for 30 seconds. I never taught her what a ladder was for, but what? Don't tell the social services. We got her down, (laughs) all right? Crisis averted. But my, they do what we do. What are you doing with your devices? You can use them for good. I don't want anyone to walk out of this room thinking that all devices, that the devices are evil and the internet is evil. No. We, we just sat down this morning. I did not plan it because of, but Stella said, Daddy, Bible. 
So we sat down this morning before church, and, and for about a half an hour, there's this Bible app. I think it's the Kids Bible. It's by you Bible. okay? You've got to get it if you have kids four and under, maybe even five and under. If you're my age and you're like me, get it, all right? I mean, have you ever thought about just how amazing God made the Bible for children? You've got Noah in the ark. You've got all the animals in the world. Kids love animals, right? My, my Stella, she loves Moses, the baby, she loves the little basket floating. She baby, baby, baby. She wants to hear the baby crying. She wants to hear the baby laugh. She loves Moses and the baby. She loves the stories about creation. You can be real creative with how you present the Bible, even through a device. This is amazing. I would never have been able to sit down for 30 minutes with, the bi- with, the, with my Bible with Stella, but I can with a children's Bible that has motion. It's awesome. So I don't want you to walk out of here. Please do not. But my point is, the family unit is tasked with training primarily the word of God. And when do we do it? We do it all the time. We don't just do it when it's family devotions, but we do it while we're walking. We do it while we're, while we're using our devices. So children, you are not off the hook. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, you need to learn and follow. All right. So very quickly and we're done. We're going to make some spiritual applications to the church. We're not going to do that right now. We're just going to end with these applications. I'm going to put them all up and I'm just going to read them and then we're going to close. So how do we grow in our device usage as a family? First of all, grow together. You need to grow just like your children do, if you're like me. Some of you, you don't have devices, it's fine. You're perfect. All right, at least in that area. Right. But grow together. In car rides, turn off, tell the kids to turn off the devices and talk to each other. You know, I hate car rides. I, I really do not enjoy them. They're long. I feel like I could be doing a lot of other things. And I've started to like them more as I've been married to Sharla because we, that's a good time for us to talk. Right? And, and now that we've thrown Stella into the picture, that's a really good time for me to get to know my family. For crying out loud, turn off the devices and talk to each other in the car. Make it purposeful. Not all the time. I mean, on long trips, you're going to get done with each other, throw them on for an hour, then turn them back off. All right? I'm not saying this all, you know, but just use common sense. You get tired of me, I'll get tired of you. We'll, you know, right? Family room. Right? In the family room, do family things. Don't just all be sitting in the family room looking at your devices. Right? Dinner time. I asked the teens on uh, Wednesday night what were some interruptions, and they, they all, all of them mentioned family dinner time. Dinner time. It's really, mobile devices have really influenced the dinner time. Just, just make, just turn it off. Just don't get rid of it for dinner time. Just try, Grow. Grow this together. Maybe do it for four dinners a week. Some of you say, well, we don't even get four dinners a week together. Well, whatever. You, you know what I'm saying. Grow on purpose. Use your vices together, not alone and aimless. Um, I saw a tweet or something a couple of Christmases ago, or maybe last Christmas, the Hobie family used this heads-up game, right? And probably they didn't know that, you, you know, Nate was probably whoever was. They were taking pictures, and, and they were playing a game together, but they were using a device. That's great. Do that. Do that as a family. But don't be alone and purposeless. Grow in creativity. Use tech to create content rather than consume content. 
You know, even as, even as uh, families, we can get so used to just listening to music, even together in the car. Have you sung as a family lately? Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm cheating. We have a two-year-old and she just loves to sing all the time. So we sing a lot as a family, right? But sometimes she kind of gets stubborn and she just wants to listen to the car sing. That's what she calls it, the car sing. I want, I want the car to sing. She's done with daddy singing, right? <laughs> and so I'm even seeing, okay, no, Stella, we've got we've to start singing as a family. And can I tell you as a youth pastor, I'll be honest, we've stopped singing in youth group because it kind of made me depressed because no one was really singing very well or loud or whatever it is. And that's probably my fault. I gave up too soon, like after five years. <laughs> so please, as a family, just start singing together. Because what the, what, when are they gonna, where are they gonna, where are they gonna feel comfortable singing on the top of their lungs? Where else are they gonna feel comfortable singing besides in the shower? Right? It does nobody else good. But the next generation of congregational singing is in your car or wherever. Start singing together. Not just, not just content-driven, but create content. There's a whole lot of other applications there. Figure them out. Grow in trust. We mentioned this last week. Spouses have passwords. Parents have full access. Never alone. All right? So I would encourage you to, um, to just be thinking. Right? How in the world can you grow as a family using your devices? All right? And um, we're going to skip all this because of time. I just want to get to the last part here. Here we go. So what's the proper place for devices in our home? Well, it starts in our mind. Proper places in our mind. The proper places in our bodies and the proper places in our families. It's just God's proper place of all those things. Let's pray together.